0: O heaven and king, the comfort of the spirit of truth, who are ever and present and fill us all things, treasure our blessings and give our life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are, <coughs> this is the Sunday of the Last Judgment. Uh, this is also called Meat Fair Sunday. Um, meat Fair meaning that today is the day we bid farewell to meat. Um, you, this week we'll also actually cheese, this this week that we're entering into is cheese fair week because this next Sunday has a lot of different names. um, Because a lot of things are happening on it. Um, The theme uh, liturgically that you'll hear in the hymnody is the uh, expulsion from paradise of Adam and Eve. Um, St. Silouan actually has some very beautiful writings and contemplations on this. Um, state of affairs, because uh, you can already, like, we're, we're here this week doing Last Judgment, right? And then we're going to, next week, going to be at the expulsion from paradise, and beginning Lent that way. Um, but all of these, of course, are all inter, interwrapped, and they have different emphases, uh, like you could tell in the parable uh, today about the end. The, this this discussion of the sheep and the goats, but the main drive behind it, um, the fathers will find and use it to, to talk about. Just like they will look at the uh, parable of the uh, uh, the rich man of Lazarus, and they'll see that there's some description uh, <clears throat> of what life after this is like. But when I was growing up, especially in like early college. And there's a, in time things get a lot of conversations, a lot of commentary, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all sorts of people who have all sorts of opinions. Um, you were t- asking me about preterist stuff at one point, weren't you?
1: Preterist stuff. Preterist yeah, stuff, yeah.
0: So um, there's also – I remember being in this church. Um, and basically preterism is this trying to wrestle with um, – the little apocalypses, where these the way when Jesus in Mark and Matthew talks about, <clears throat> and that day like women will have to like flee flee to the hills and uh, there'll be no time and there's like war and rumors of war and all this stuff. Right? Do you remember those passages? Mm-hmm. They probably weren't favorite passages for preachers to preach on because they are highly. Complicated into passages—they don't lend themselves to an easy, like, "Let's get saved by Jesus," you know. Right. They—they they require more concentration on the broader scope of theology. Um, and if you're getting to pick and choose where you're going to preach from, <laughs> you're probably going to choose harder passages when you could just go back to your favorite ones, like Jesus. Everyone loves Jesus as a shepherd. So a lot, of what would happen with um, in this church is they had this idea. Trying to understand what Jesus is talking about in regards to the temple, the destruction of the temple, His coming back, that they basically said that Jesus has already come back for the second time. That's what the full preterist. The full preterist, and of course, there's gradations of this. On the internet, you can find anything, right? So um, I bring this up because it it was it caused a lot of chaos in this church that I was in. This is not an Orthodox church, just to be clear. Uh, because well when you're just Bible only and you don't have much of a grasp of the tradition so different Protestants would not have the same problems per se Um, they my response to that was just like well the creed like we we have already been given some clarity as to what the church believes Mm -hmm. about the second coming he hasn't come yet
2: now, when I
0: say he has it come, I kind of even mentioned in the homily today, right, like at the very beginning of the the pericope for today, that Christ will come in glory surrounded by the angels on his throne. And we all know that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's surrounded by the angels. Like there's already a sense in which the end of time has already happened. Because Christ has been enthroned. Human flesh has been sanctified. We're basically in this in-between space waiting. For when all things will come to their completion, we basically have the duty and the responsibility, uh, the spreading of the kingdom. Um, this is why you have the seventy uh, disciples who are sent out. For uh, back in the Old Testament, you have the seventy nations. that are basically flow out of that. Um, so you you have the seventy disciples who are also then the, the they are then emissaries for the kingdom. This is supposed to spread to the end of the world. Um, I think there's been a lot of speculation about in-time things because people like pyrotechnics. (laughs) (laughs) People like... Mm -hmm. Especially when things get iffy. We just went through and are kind of still in the midst of an iffy time of, like, great movements Mm -hmm. of... I'll say capital. (laughs) With the rich getting richer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got... I mean, what, part of, I think, the reason why Russia is still considered to be this arch nemesis is partly just because they were historically a large, you know, um, monarchist. So they're also, like, kind of, old, before the Bolshevik Revolution, they're kind of a throwback before, you know, like, American, like, democracy and de- or other republics. So they're kind of seen as being bad. Well, um,
1: they're kind of uh, sequestered from international financial Banned,
0: right? i i don't know about that, but i'm not so here we go so there there's all sorts of like trying to these complex political social economic things of course, this is why schofield was the eighteenth century or on uh, the scots um, where you have these conflagrations, or like uh, looking to and seeing like especially during Cold War where you probably you all are of the age to maybe have the, at least vestiges of Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye, all that stuff, which was all fed by the axis of evil, as George Bush later put it, right? But has to do with, like, Russia and um, Iran or, of course, like, the Bolsheviks or, you know, the communists, atheists, and then the Muslims. And then, of course, then part of our problems is Israel. <laughs> so you could just see how all of this constantly gives itself over to the contemplation, even recently in regards to the election, our election, and all sorts of people going around calling themselves prophets and people regarding folks as prophets. Um, there are, within the Orthodox tradition, there are different uh, times, and you can find... Apocalypses—I'll say that word. I mean it in the technical sense, and/or apocalyptic. By apocalypse, I mean we know, like the unveiling of things, right? Like the way things really are. That's what the Book of Revelation is—it's showing us what really is going on. Um, we kind of—I think we think of apocalyptic, and we think like thirty days after or something like that. Was that that zombie movie? Thirty days later, for something like twenty. Where they could run really fast.
2: Twenty-eight days. Twenty-eight days. I don't know. But they run really
0: fast, and it's yeah. an eagle. It's scary yeah. for zombies. It's like, yeah. oh my goodness, they can sprint. That's what the
1: term is come to be
0: understood. Yeah, or like twelve monkeys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's apocalyptic. Uh, that's not historically what Christianity meant by apocalyptic. Um, I think it's a very strong case for the the, go- uh, the gospel that the Book of Revelation is basically actually a vision of heaven uh, from someone in the divine liturgy who's actually in worship. Because he says, On the day of the Lord, I was caught up in the Spirit. Um, and then the way the movements and the acts and the things that are happening there very much look like worship. Um, there's some Catholic scholarship on this and also some Orthodox who have pointed out. Um, I would also I'd be remiss to, to not relate. I'm kind of talking about apocalypticism and end time stuff generally because I kind of want um, that to be edited first before we, we move forward or at least talked about, right? Because there's a lot of crazy stuff out there, especially in America, especially in East Tennessee. Um, but what you get, sorry, before I did all that, you um the Book of Revelation wasn't even accepted as canonical scripture till uh, millennia later, like a long time. What seven hundreds, eight hundreds? Where like it was? Yeah. There's still like there there was, and you'll notice. Do we ever read out of the Book of Revelation? We. In our services, we never read out the book of Revelation. So, footnote here
2: to... Which... Go ahead. I was going to say, is one of the (laughs) arguments that's usually made for what is Scripture. It's what we read in church. And so it's like, at the very least, it should point to that, at least from an Orthodox perspective, like what we say when we mean the canon of Scripture is a lot fuzzier than what other groups mean when they say that. And we need to be comfortable with that fuzziness.
0: That fuzziness, uh, uh, so yes, fuzziness. That fuzziness doesn't mean that there isn't specific teachings of the church, because I think when somebody hears fuzzy, they think, oh, it's blurry. Mm. No, it's not, it's not. It's just not. We don't have the same systemic need for um, basing every single thing out of a particular verse in the Bible in the way that... that, that and what I mean, I'm getting at more of like, yes, we're scriptural, but it's, there's a particular kind of Protestant mindset that you see especially and there and some of this existed in the early church for example like numbers right there's all of this contemplation and weirdness about numbers and being able to use the book the, the bible as a way to like almost like fortune telling or something right like so the church is uh, specific about the fact that there is I'm just going to get into and this is me in some ways So this is my caveat. Oh, the footnote that I'm going to go back to. If you want to think about the Book of Revelation and things like that, Father Thomas Hopko has a CD uh, series. It might even be on Ancient Faith Radio. I don't know. Because they have a lot of his old talks on there. Like There's a great series on the Theotokos that he has on there. Um, But he has a great... I know Vlad has his talks on Revelation that are very good interpretation of the book of Revelation that I would, if you're interested in that stuff. What, um,
1: what do you think about uh, Constantine's uh, interpretation of Revelation? Has, I haven't,
0: no, I, you know what, I haven't listened to it. Um, i, I listened to a few of those. So this and is just to make sure, because we got so much background noise. Uh, Andy is talking about uh, Presbytera. is it Jeannie? Is that how you, Jeannie Constantine's, um, commentary that she's been going through on ancient faith. She's got a lot of uh, a podcast where she's been going through different things. And she's a PhD in New Testament. She actually did her dissertation on Andrew of Crete's commentary on the book of Revelation. So that put that can tell you how late. I think Andrew of Crete is 600, so that's the that 7th century or something, which speaking of Andrew of Crete, we're going to be listening to a lot of Andrew of Crete soon because that's he is the author of the canon that we'll be doing during this next week not this coming week but the week after that so what was Tara saying? Uh,
1: I listened to a few of them she uh, the, like I listened to the beginning and um, she was explaining how Revelation is like, part of the genre of apocalyptic literature that was yes. The time. yes
0: so and this is why and I have two volume set of this one scholar Charlesworth Uh, the Pseudepigrapha, which is basically, we think of New Testament stuff and then we think probably in the past 20 years of uh, the Qumran stuff and maybe some Gnostic stuff. But there's even more than that. There's a ton of stuff that was written um, that's either Jewish or Christian. Sometimes it's a debate about who exactly wrote it. Um, And they were being copied in my, if you look at the sources uh, where these manuscripts are being they're, they're in monasteries in Russia and Nanathos and where they've been copying them so there is again this goes back to that we have a canon of scripture but it's not the same kind of enlightenment, enlightenment model of here's our textbook of scripture and this is how everything is going to be worked out um, the canonical scriptures what we read in church has the utmost weight um, but you will find but even that
2: like there are differences in what one church is reading in in services versus another I mean very minor but, but nonetheless and, and I think historically that's okay that's a that's almost a, a, a place to kind of explore and okay what does that mean that it's a word? that word is different there than here that try and draw some out. was it origin at the hexagon is that not hexameron, but the one where he all the different Origin. intestines. Um, and, and they kind of reveled in that, finding those little variants. Uh, it wasn't a cause for stress or, you know, which one is the truest true of the true. No, you know, we can learn from a, a synthesis of them. Maybe synthesis isn't the right word exactly, but uh, yeah. we can synthesize them in our own kind of preaching and teaching, without actually trying to synthesize them into one master text. Does that make sense? Well,
0: I can specifically point to it. So are you all familiar with the New Testament scholar Bart Bar Ehrman at all? Uh, the he's one? kind of infamous, because if you go to Barnes & Noble and you want to find books that will help you lose your faith, uh, <laughs> he's, he, he's prominently put out there, at least he was historically the past 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, He's kind of historical Jesus movement, broadly second generation, I would say, because he's not a part necessarily of the first generation of that. Um, he he was a fundamentalist, Moody Bible Institute guy, if you know what that means. Like that that's fundy central. Um, like Bob Jones, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, they have a very, very, very specific idea of like inspiration. In the like they'll say God inspired the original, like signature, like text. The problem is nobody actually has the first right. manuscript. so the, so there's all sorts of little God weird. God breathed is the term. Yeah, they, and, sure. they, and they and they, you, they make God breathed to be a very very specific thing. So when Bart Ehrman started realizing once he went to Princeton and started realizing there's different manuscript traditions that have little variants, he basically lost his faith. And then he's basically made a career out of this, where. He'll say, he'll make all of these big hubbubaloo's about certain things, and then other scholars will say, actually, that's not that, like, that's okay. That variant might actually just be a quote from the Psalms from a different version mm-hmm. or something, like, you know, so. But you can see, like, if you get this really brittle idea, it's really easy to just crack, and then, mm-hmm. because everything is based in this idea that's yeah. impossible to find. It's too fragile
2: to stake it all on. Exactly, yeah. And it was never actually the way that the, what we call the scriptures were read. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Historically,
0: traditionally. So, when we get to last things, part of, like, I, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the sermon of Christ being enthroned and surrounded by his angels, is the last, the, ger- the great judgment, the, ju- the general resurrection, is um, basically. When the sacraments are fulfilled in their fullness, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is where the the sacraments relay to us uh, Christ. When they are fulfilled, Christ will be God, as Scripture talks about God being all in all. That He will be fully present to uh, to everyone with that intensity. Uh, All will then be raised with their bodies. Uh, This is the general, so everyone. And then there will be the judgment. But the the focus of this, and this is what Hopko focuses on his, is that the the end of things is not the destruction of things where everything gets burnt up and discarded. Because this can even under... Underline how then we deal with the world, right? And even kind of this, like you have this idea of eschatology where everything is just going to burn up. It's all going to hell in a handbasket anyway, so who cares, right? We can do whatever we want. Uh, But the biblical understanding, like we were talking about uh, in, uh, when we were talking about Romans 8, and we are talking about the earth groaning for the liberation of the sons of God, Uh, The earth will be restored to, uh, it will cast off the futility that it's been subjected to, and it will be restored to its glory. Uh, Humans will also then basically be revealed to be uh, what they truly are. Either, so everyone will be resurrected to their bodies, they will either be resurrected to eternal life, like what it says today in the gospel, or uh, to eternal death. And that is something that has been prepared in this trajectory of what somebody in their life has looked like. As you live into holiness, so you'll be resurrected to life if you've lived in a different direction. You will inherit uh, eternal death. So, is this um,
1: final judgment, is this like, I have this picture in my mind of some kind of cinematic, like, you know like Thanos yeah so <laughs> that I, you know I don't know if that's accurate
0: but I wanna just what do you think is like so you're gonna have to explain to me a little bit more what you mean I think I know what you're saying but
1: so I see like you know millions of people before the almighty god he's like separating them you know literally and you know there's fire coming from the sky you know?
0: So, I think with a lot of these things. So, one of the things that, in des- describing another thing, excuse me, um, you have where uh, the fathers will talk about um, what they call kind of colloquially toll houses. Mm-hmm but you have at the very beginning of all that them being very clear to be careful about how to inter- not to interpret it too materialistically and grossly Right. that the, the spiritual realities are not necessarily equal to I'm climbing up this invisible ladder to enter into this little home where a demon's going to interrogate me and you know etc I wouldn't think of it like that
2: is it fair to say that it's using just human terms to describe something beyond human experience? And so yeah, I think,
0: think yes, yes. To. In the same way that yeah. we've already like laid out for us and how we talk about God. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Absolutely. But I, so in saying that, though, I don't want to because you, you can go too far because this isn't the same as like discourse about God. So there is truths that are a part of this. For example, yes. there is a tra- there is a transition. Mm-hmm with the soul departing the body uh, there's a transition to the particular judgment is a way that Pomazansky talks about this so for example i think you asked me months ago now why and this is a question i had since i was a kid like so all right so it seems like why do we need a general resurrection and general like judgment because aren't isn't everyone already sorted yeah Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham and uh, the rich man is uh, in torment right so the way that Pomazansky talks about this is that basically there is particular judgment that happens upon the death of someone. There's a transition and the, the fathers are, are adamant. There's not really, and this is something actually kind of correcting some of the way that I've even kind of loosely thought about it because I haven't delved into it myself, um, is that there's not, that they, do, they are very firm about there's not a third place. There's heaven and hell. There's not a purgatory place. So it, it, it's, it's kind of complicated because you're also talking about this idea of as you're ascending to where you're going, and this, and this idea of ascent through the sky that there's like demons in the skies. Yeah. Uh, Paul talks like this, right? The, the powers and principalities, you have the prince of the demons, of the air, right? You have this, this aerial talk. You also have in like the end of On the Incarnation, the thing that I remember very specifically recently. Um, I'm sure you can find it throughout the other fathers as well, but this is in St. Athanasius on the Incarnation. He very specifically talks about Jesus died in the air because demons are in the air. That's where he had to die on the cross. That's one of the reasons why he says that. So you can either, there's a few routes here. You can say, that sounds like a whole bunch of bosh to me because I can turn on the light switch because that's Rudolf like way of dealing with all of this stuff in the new testament it's basically saying like no modern man can believe that so i have to make it into existential theology right like what is the word of god to me and my meaning it's about meaning and stuff but the orthodox church has never let go of the fact that there's as we've talked about demons angels etc like there this this reality has not been uh, abolished it is full and well and there and um The 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 contemplation, kind of like the spirituality of toll houses. Let's say that, right? Like, what that is is I think is an addition or a growth of memento mori of the Mm -hmm. remembrance of death. And so the whole spiritual, and I think the same with like the gospel pericope today. There's always gospel being preached in all of it. There's always redemption being on offer, especially when we can hear it and do something about it. So, the gospel today was not just kind of like, you know what, some of y'all are going to hell, and some of y'all are going <laughs> to heaven, right? It's not, it's not a declaration. What it is is like, it's a rhetorical, like, Here's our, here are the sheep who, even unbeknownst to them, because of how they were acting and living in the world, they're serving Jesus Christ. And here are the goats. And the goats do the opposite of this, right? They didn't serve people, they didn't help people, you know? They're being goats. I, I don't like those. <laughs> you ever been around, they stink too. Um, but that exists, same with the toll houses, the remembrance of death. These are real things, they are, but they, they are there to encourage us to repent. They're there to point the way and say, like, you don't want. This way, Maximus the Confessor talks about, without even reference to toll houses or any of that kind of language, he talks about, like, to actually truly love and to truly be spiritualized, this is my language, not understand Maximus, and saying spiritualized, you have to let go of earthly things. If you are still bound up in your passions and struggling, and we're all struggling until we die, right? But if we just let these things rampantly grow, it's like living in a house that you never do any kind of work on, right? The subflooring is like warped and bent and like it's going to, the foundations are jacked now and like... There's not electricity running through half of it. Well, that's the state of your soul then when you die. And those demons or the reality of what you're going to be living after that is not going to be pleasant. So this is argued and debated about in Orthodoxy, and I'd rather be up front talking about it. And again, like I said at the beginning, I'm not an expert on this. This is not something that I've spent massive amounts of my time in seminary or before that. Uh, It's something that I, myself, am also reading and and discovering. And because the tradition, as I find it, like, I know all of the basic outlines, but I'm always, when I'm reading, like, the Father's or, you know, Scripture, being constantly like, wow, okay, all right, conforming myself to what the teaching is or being encouraged to repent in a way that I hadn't really thought that I needed to repent. Um, So... There's also, I should say, in addition to this, to not just Toll Houses, but there's a lot of talk about universalism right now in Orthodox circles because of some particular scholars. Uh, and a part of this has been a revival, uh, an appreciation for Origin. So do you all know who Origen is?
2: I've heard of, I've watched okay. a little thing about him. Okay.
0: So... Um, Origen was a very influential he's probably one of the first systematic theologians, if you want to use that kind of language of the early church. Um, his uh, first principles is kind of a first systematic theology. I'm kind of hesitant to say systematic, but I don't really know what else, trying to make sense of everything, how it all holds together, right? Because he was doing that, there are things that got wrong. The later church condemns certain of his teachings and condemns him. So, and there's all sorts of debate about some of this stuff. Um, my, I would, I would say my preference, my suggestion, and I think it is wise, is to stay in the middle on these things. One, for example, there is things to appreciate about Origen. Uh, without him, we wouldn't have the Cappadocian Fathers the way that we know. Have a good week. A good week. Um, but that doesn't mean, therefore, that he's not wrong about. And his form of universalism is very specific and complicated. And I don't want to get into the weeds on all of that. Um, and newer forms of universalism, I would say, aren't just a revival of originism, but they're also their own kind of forms. I specifically here should note David Bitley Hart, uh, who is kind of a uh, famous/slash infamous. Uh, Christian author, theologian, etc. He used to write a lot for First Things, um, different journals. He's published books, etc. I think he was better early on, and he's gotten more and more. I say idiosyncratic. If you know at the heart of what idiosyncratic means, it's an idiot is somebody who's like on their own, like they're not they're not actually in rhythm with everybody else. That's what it historically meant. So idiosyncratic means like they're they're doing their own thing. So, I, I, part of becoming Orthodox and immersing yourself in Orthodoxy is trying to get the mind of the Church. And there are places where the Church has said, you know, don't flirt that direction. Like, stick with the vast majority of the tradition. I mean, Stay if you heard the hedges, the, stick in between the hedges. Like, you heard the hymnody, or if you heard the hymnody for tonight or today, like, it very much talks about we're all going to be judged for what we've done, and there's a, its heaven or hell. So, you either can get really fancy and say, but, 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 but. (laughs) And then I I would prefer to not do all those buts, right? (laughs) Where you are having to come up with your own interpretation that goes against the basic thrust and meaning of what's there. That's that's where I stand. It's like, I'm going to stand generally... Now I'm sure you could find somebody, some 17th century source that has some really extreme stuff about toll houses, and I'd be like, we could turn down the volume on that a little bit, right? Like for you, that's probably not the best thing to contemplate. uh, As much as like, let's focus on the Beatitudes. Let's think about maybe just the remembrance of death, like what like John Climacus will will tell you to think about. To think about judgment. Paul talks like that. We need to be aware there's a there's a judgment. We'll be we will be judged for the things that we've done in the flesh. That's Paul's language.
1: So what you're saying is basically to remember the general uh, aspects of this and not get too deep in the weeds because that would be uh,
0: that would lead you down wrong direction. So I, what I would say, I'm fine if if somebody's trying to understand how it holds together. Mm-hmm. My advice is stick within the general consensus of the church instead of taking the most minority view that you can possibly take. Okay. Because what I have found, and not, and not on this topic, but a whole lot of other topics, people can get really interested in their little tiny little thing, and before you know it, in five years' time, they're gone. <laughs> what I mean by gone is like, they've left the church, or they've decided that they know better, than. and i just, I want to counsel and like, encourage, like, intellectual humility, uh, being faithful sons and daughters of the church, even though we don't have any women here right this minute, (laughs) but that is a better place, like, we're saved together, so let's go back to the gospel prayer, we're, we're saved together, right, it's not an I, salvation, but it is something that we all need to be working together. So, what I would suggest to read about the subject, if you want to go into deeper detail, Pomazansky has good stuff. This is the Orthodox Dogmatic Theology, Metropolitan Hilarion Alfeov. This is Volume Mm -hmm. 2. He talks about last time things in a bit more detail. I also, there is a book that's out of print, and I may even have a PDF of it somewhere. Yes, I'm recording this. Okay. Uh, Of Jean-Claude Larcher, who is in very... um, Some people are critical of him because he's not imaginative or, like, creative as a theologian, which actually, (laughs) as you can tell, the deacon kind of laughing over here. Like, some of that is cool in certain places, but other, like, Larchea is very helpful in being able to present to you a kind of, not systematized, systematized, but, like, cohesive, coherent, cogent understanding what the basic general consensus of the Fathers is about something. So here's the book about life after death. Where he goes through and he, he works through these things. That would be a book that I've heard that I recommended numerous times. Uh, there's also a book, "Life After Death" by Metropolitan Hierotheos Blachos. Also, Father Seraphim Rose has the book. What is that book? I forget what the I forget what Father Seraphim's book is. But I I, I suggest the the Pomizansky, the Metropolitan Hierotheos, and the uh, the book by Larche, um, if you're going to dig into that. I have a feeling it's going to be republished again soon, but right now it's out of print. And I might be able to find a PDF. I might already have a PDF, and I just am forgetting that I have it somewhere. So, one of the things I think about orthodoxy is that we, you may have this idea... Of, how should I say this? It is very true that the absolute established dogmas and doctrines of the church are enshrined within the ecumenical council, ecumenical councils and in the creed, right? Those are kind of like, you can't really, like, if you disagree with those things, you have obviously put yourself outside of orthodoxy. Then I would say there's gradations down from there that are still at the heart of what orthodoxy is. For example, in the ecumenical councils uh, and within the creed, There's nowhere about the Dormition of Mary that I am aware of that they talk about that. They talk about her being the Theotokos, right, the God bearer. There has not been a dogmatizing of this in the way that, like, Rome recently, you know, in the past hundred years, dogmatized the Assumption of Mary, right? Now, could you, in good conscience, be an Orthodox Christian and deny the Dormition of the Theotokos? I don't really know how you could be be in good standing and deny that since it is at the heart of a major feast of the church uh, the saints all presume it um, so what I'm getting at is there's this idea like it was
2: maybe a settled thing before we even had an ecumenical council so, so they didn't have to enshrine it
0: <laughs> right so what I'm getting at is you'll, you'll find articulations of orthodoxy is like as long as you agree with the creed you can be orthodox and I'm telling you That is not actually a very orthodox mindset. (laughs) That's actually really Protestant. It's kind of a legalistic mindset. Yeah, kind of a legalistic, but also just like, let's choose the lowest bar possible and say this is what defines orthodoxy. And I want to say, like, I'm not saying you have maximalist as in, like, every single encounter in every, like, aesthetical work, like the, the history of the Desert Fathers, or all... You have to believe every single miracle and every story from the synoxarian Otherwise, you're a heretic. Okay, I'm not... What I'm, I'm not gonna say... that. That's a maximalism that I'm like, okay, that, like, that's too much. Mm-hmm. There is room for space for, like, struggling with some of these stories in the Synoxerian. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you will eventually, of, like, you know, somebody saving, being saved from losing their chastity by a dolphin and riding through the, off to another, to the mainland because of a dolphin, I've showed up and said, well, okay, like, I love the story, I'm not, entire, and again, I would even be someone, I have been of the doubt, like, I'm not saying, and most of me says that probably did, ha- I'm okay with that maybe happening. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not really bothered by that, right? Like, I'm not like, my scientific mind is, like, blowing up. On the other hand, if somebody else is just like, Father, I don't think there's dolphins saving people off islands i am like okay you can't have communion from here on out. no like that's now if you're going to come to like I really don't know what to do with the Teotokos and you're it, it, like if, if you were in your shoes like discerning then I'm like well we can wait like you don't have to come into the church until you're ready to embrace her fully now there will be priests who have maybe have different idea about the philosophy of that but my main point in all that is just to underline like Orthodoxy is more than lowest common denominator or lowest bar or having to act like you 're a seventh century like um, Greek peasant at the same time there's a way in which we can faithfully uh, follow the tradition of the church uh, and there's I would say that like, there 's a hierarchy that 's flowing like Christology and Trinitarian thought then like um, what we understand about sin and like the Theotokos and ecclesiology, the things and they, they radiate down. What you think about the fifth traparion and a can- or the third canon to the Theotokos and octo- on the, or the seventh uh, tone octoikos uh, that you sing once a year that sounds funny to you or like weird, that's way down there on lists list of things that you need to be concerned about, right? Or saying like, I have to believe this or I'm going to fall apart. Uh-uh or orthodoxy falls apart for me uh, and the same with like Toll House like I think Toll House is above that but it's something to not get obsessed with or then going around trying to figure out everybody's orthodoxy about that but I do think if people are just outright like this has no- there's nothing here I think you'd be like well too bad because the tradition talks about this stuff quite a bit it, and it comes up in a hymnody and multiple places it's, this is one of those things too it's like if it's not entirely, like, absolutely straight up clearing scripture, and actually when I've read about this there's more things that they're drawing from scripture than I realize, which is always the case because in my Protestant background I didn't know how to I didn't read scripture like an Orthodox Christian. Then you have the works of the fathers then it shows up in hymnody all, all over the place. Then it's something that should give you pause and say, like, maybe I need to actually look into this and check myself before I wreck myself. To quote a rapper. He iced tea anyways that's a long time ago any questions about this stuff I know we're kind of I'm I'm kind of using this topic not only in the specifics but also kind of talk about generally broader things because when you hit a topic like this I mean you can find 19th century Russian um,
2: visions and like uh, okay so please I want to there's a couple that remind me of something that I want to mention as well kind of hooks into this a little bit I think is that you'll also find modern saints who have had prophecies or visions and much like the story of the dolphin you you don't have to believe that like not just because someone is a saint doesn't mean everything they have said ever ever in their life is true Mm -hmm. Right. right there has to be room for you to go well I don't know about that you know, some of t- sometimes these kinds of, uh, I, I don't know, uh, recorded sayings, let's say, um, are fed as much by the, the historical, political background of the country they're from, mm-hmm. right, as much as like any, and I don't mean to, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but, but so, so be, be aware that that happens, that exists. You might be reading through some modern um, father and go, ooh, that's kind of strange strange it's okay all
0: right i'm gonna get specific because i okay i can't because i'm a priest i guess so it'll just be on my shoulders so you can read stuff from saint Paisios in greece and part of the problem is not you don't even you don't know who you're you don't know if you're reading him or you're reading the writers the people who wrote and listened to him and then you know like you can be having a conversation and like i make a passing comment about the end of time or something and I'm like you know oh like I hope Russia comes and saves us from the Turks this is a very Greek thing to say right that suddenly then stories start going like somebody's already ramped up about that right like and then it gets into printing and then like St. Paisio says the Russians eventually have got like there is a real way in which people and the way they talk can get lost in translation literally lost yeah. in translation from us from uh, Greek to English, lost in translation because we don't understand the culture that it's coming from, even if it was 1985 pre's. Um And we don't know, because we have to trust all of the in-betweens to get to that source. Does that make sense? So, people have agendas sometimes when they publish things.
2: Yeah, I, I read where someone had mentioned him specifically, mm-hmm. saying that whenever he spoke outside of his lane, it could get a little crazy. But he it's was, a, it's he a, was no less, uh, less a saint. Yeah. Yeah. you don't want to trust anything I have to say about, um, you know, I don't know, nuclear. Carbs. Physics. Yeah. Because I, you know, the other thing I was going to say, and it relates to this kind of idea of minimal maximal stuff, and I, anytime I have an opportunity to talk to a catechumen, a catechumen class, I try and bring this up. Um, and it relates to this idea of like this like, checklist of okay, the creed, as long as I agree with the creed and what the councils have said check, 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 good, I'm orthodox like yeah, that's not it at all right, that's mm-hmm. totally missing the point and the example I usually use is like a question of like especially as we approach Lent like okay, how much should I fast? all of it that's the answer, how much should I pray? all, all of the prayers, how many services should I come to? all of them that's the actual answer right it's not there's no minimal like um, I only need to do th- as long as I come to Sunday every Sunday and then Saturday every once in a while I'm good the, so that's the actual answer is all of it right this maximalist position and then when you can't right grace covers you right With the bar is set super high knowing that you can't actually get there in a sense does that make sense like so i I use that as an example to try and switch our our mindset as we approach these these kinds of things because I know for myself often I'm like i have this I have an assignment what's the what, what's the, what are the minimum requirements I actually have to do to make you sure I, I get this done uh, okay I'm just going to do those that's not what the life in Christ is right right um, the answer is all of it mm-hmm. right and and love it all and of course that's very hard. <laughs> um, and so then, uh, in, in a sense, then, those failures themselves, not in a sense, absolutely. The failures then to meet the bar, the, the times when we just can't get out of bed or we just can't stop ourselves from eating a hot dog or whatever. I am mean, that, that's a silly example. But whatever the, whatever the thing is that you don't, you know, go to the highest bar. Hot dog. Like those failures are when God encounters you directly. Right and and in the midst of that failure, says I love you. You failed. It's okay. You're going to try again. It's not okay that you failed, right? I want you to try again and again and again and again and again and again. But even in the middle of your failure, I still love you. Right? That that doesn't change my love for you. So I feel like that's I, I just mentioned that like this maximalist, all of it, all the prayers, all the fasting, because no, I mean no, I. I should try. Uh, I'm going to fail and fail and fail. But um, but it, sometimes we have this. And, and it's really the same. It's the same attitude as the rich young ruler, right? Well, I've kept all the commandments my whole life. What do I have to do to be perfect? He just wanted the minimal, right? What's the one more thing I'm lacking? And so Christ tells him the one thing he's lacking. And he can't handle it. So th- this attitude of like this checklist attitude towards, um, The life in Christ is, is, I think it's an important thing to step away from. I'm not saying either of you have that attitude, but I always try and bring this up when I have an opportunity with catechumens. Because it's it's a thing that I think the sooner you can start to move away from a checklist kind of attitude, the better. Where do you think
1: that attitude comes from? I think it's pervasive in our
2: culture. And I think it's actually in some ways healthy because, like, man, I'm really busy. Um... You know and so are you and so are you and so you've all got a lot of stuff to do right um we're constantly bombarded with information and things to do and so as a way to keep sane i think a lot of us go okay i have to i'm spinning six plates right now what do i have to do to keep them spinning and that's that's all i can do right now is keep these six if you put a seventh plate on there i'm out Right, but I can keep these six going, and, and I, so, so I think that then tends to kind of bleed into other, you know, wherever in our life it can. And, and sometimes that requires then a maybe I don't need three of these
0: plates. Yeah. Thing, and that discernment. Sometimes you can't choose because that's just the lot that you have. Um, I think the other thing that contributes to it is just straight up secularism. Yeah. And what I mean by secularism is that we compartmentalize stuff. Right, so like church is something that we think is important, but it's basically important as long as I get my ticket, you know, like stamped, and I'm ready to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. As long as that's going on, like I can basically be pious. I can basically kind of show up, and as long as I'm kind of like the priest knows who I am, then I'm good. Or like I I gave some money to the church, or I'll give you an example, Father Alexander Schmemann, when he. was he would go to different churches and kind of do talks about great lit, trying to kind of revive, because some of the practices had fallen out with a lot of immigrants coming over here, right? Because you don't have the church, everything just set up, and then you kind of start off minimal because that's all you can do, and then that can kind of get stuck there, right? And you never grow beyond that, because that's what you expect now, right? So he's hearing confessions, and this fellow comes up, and he's got his his, uh, little paper that says that he's paid his fee to the parish for the year and he said give me absolution
2: <laughs>
0: and Father Alexander was just like if it wasn't Father Alexander then it was Father Thomas Hopko but just like just because you paid a fee does not mean that that's not what confession that's not what this is where you get absolution because you paid your fee because you can see how like I'm a member like I'm participating but that's not those are all good and well Kind of gets again to what I was talking about, like the prostrations, the even like feet you know, tithing to the church, like all of these things are important, but that's not the end goal. Mm-hmm. That's all of that so that we can actually be loving human beings. You might say, Well, that's a whole lot of stuff. Well, we're also pretty messed up. <laughs> For a whole host of reasons that most of us can even be blind to, which is again why we need confession to be able to help us see those things.
1: That kinda of reminds me of how you said last time where our culture is kind of like, as long as I don't, you know, hurt
0: anybody mm-hmm. else, I can do this. It, that, that the baseline religion. liberalism mm-hmm. yeah. that's basically, I'm not doing anything to hurt anybody, and then it's like, but the it, church sees like, just,
1: just like uh, all all of humanity is like corporate. It, mm-hmm. Like it, it, all sins affect everyone.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. It has a much bigger idea of sin, which also means a greater like depravity that can be hard sometimes i think for how much our culture tells us it can be hard to kind of shoulder that or deal with that but at the same time i think the message of grace is so strong and i hope i think the orthodox church underlines it and emphasizes it but it gets sometimes be lost in the way that things are articulated but i hope that hasn't been lost here of just the radicalness of god's mercy and grace towards us which is always calling us to be transformed Not to get a new idea and then think we can go home and that idea will save us. That's kind of like my main go-to thing.
2: I feel like this is like if you were to. This is a silly example, but this is the way my mind works. I try and think of like you know metaphors or allegories or whatever. And you know, if I went to Disney World, um, to really get the most out of my experience at Disney World, I would actually ride all the things and see everything I could. Right, I wouldn't just get my ticket and have them tear it and go in, step in, and say, all right, pretty good, and go home. Because that would be turning my back on all of, I, I, I don't have strong feelings about Disney World one way or the other, but if I did, that would be turning my back on all of the wonder of Walt Disney. That all the amazing, cool things, allegedly, they have to offer. I think there probably are some cool things there, but anyway. Um, but... Um, You know, why would you, you wouldn't do that. See, if you were going to go, like, to a, if if I'm going to go to a baseball game, you better believe I'm getting a hot dog, right? I wouldn't just go to, the like, a baseball game and have the guy tear my ticket and say, yep, there's the field, I'm out, I went to the game. No, not really. Okay, maybe, but you didn't really go to the game. If you didn't go and sit and cheer and stand up at the seventh inning and, you know, eat a hot dog and laugh at the the, way the animal like thing on the, the the mascot doing the funny stuff, or you know, whatever. All of those experiences, like, so why do we treat church like that? Like we just come in and because I got my harder. Jesus cookie and I'm done, right? That's church not- is
0: hard. <laughs> church work in a way that like <laughs> no, even work isn't work. I think that yeah, I like your analogy, but I think but, that's uh, it really. I think a lot of part of the reason is because. We reali- if we actually do try to deal with some of those things, we realize it's yeah. just... Deacon, a better analogy would be if you went to the gym
2: and... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. They just go in, I smell the sweat, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to go take a shower now, right? Yeah, that's a good that's a good, good, analogy, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you, want, if you want to actually get fit, you can't just go smell the sweat. You have right. to work out, yeah. Or just stop eating stuff. Well, no, there's that. Right,
0: like uh, you, you actually. Right, yeah, you, you gotta do it. You, <laughs> you gotta do it all. There's a whole program. Yeah. All right. Any other things? Because we're yeah, we've gone fifty-one mm-hmm. minutes. Well, oh. all right. So next week we will not have class because it's a long day mm-hmm. as is, and the class really is the church will be class for that first week. Uh, Sunday of Orthodoxy. um but we can talk about that because I want um, we could talk about icons but I kind of want to talk not just kind of like we didn't just talk about like in times we kind of talked about a broader like orthodox mindset and dogmatics and things like that um, we'll, we can talk about uh, the restoration of icons and that feast um, but I also might talk about like attitudes of orthodox and how what does it mean to be orthodox and those kind of questions Unless you... Um, yeah, I think that's what we'll... And we'll probably focus on the next weeks after that on the... We're going to talk about the pre literature, We can talk about some of those things. Or maybe even... I, I might... What I probably will with the cross and with Climacus and things like that, I've got... Uh, I would like just to go through the virtues and vices in a little bit more specific specificity. Um... Using St. Ignatius Frenchinov has like uh, gluttony and that has like two or three sentences that kind of encapsulates what gluttony is, so we can have a better idea. Because sometimes I, it helps to have these things so that when we come to confession, we're not just kind of like, and I kind of like, you know, I'm proud. Yeah. It's like, great. Everybody is. What, 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 like, this manifests itself in myriad ways. So the better you understand what the, the goal is, the better it is for you to actually be able to repent and be able to name things and be able, not to be overwhelmed, but be able to actually have a map of like, all right, I probably should shut my mouth more often or <laughs> etc. Okay. Does that sound good as a, a basic map forward? Yeah, that sounds good. As we get closer, again, um, we probably need to meet individually just to talk uh, about prep and baptismal certificate or a picture of baptismal roll call or something like that. Roll call, I mean like a the book that they have it record, here. Yeah. So, alright, let's end with prayer. Lord, now let us love thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my have and thy salvation shall prepare prepared before the face of all people, light to enlighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit,